How would you like to be part of a conversation that changed someone's life or even changed your own life? Welcome to the Be Fun, Be Kind podcast, where we have amazing discussions hosted by someone new each week. Join us at BeFunBeKind.com to be part of our live events. Now, here's your host for this week's episode. Well, you guys, welcome to my virtual hang. I'm super stoked to be doing this. I've never done anything like this before, really, other than like Instagram lives and stuff, but never with like a very directed topic. And this is my favorite topic to talk about, especially lately, because it has kind of been the main thing that I've chatted about since leaving treatment. I'm not sure if whoever's watching knows a bit of my story, but basically at the end of last year, I was told that I needed to go away to eating disorder treatment. And when I was told that, I was super, super shocked. And I felt like someone just like ripped the rug out from under my feet. And everything that I thought I knew to be true about myself felt like it was gone. Like I kind of felt like a failure. But after leaving treatment uh, about a month ago, it became really clear to me that for the majority of not just last year, but for most of my life, I had been living super, super disconnected to myself, disconnected to my body, disconnected to like my spirit, my soul. And I realized that because I was so disconnected from myself, I was also disconnected from pretty much everybody. Because when you think about like an eating disorder and what it means to live in that, it's basically ignoring all of your normal human bodily needs. Like when you want food, don't hunger. When you want rest, don't stop running. Don't hunger, don't thirst, don't need. Like it's kind of like shoving all of that to the side so that I can survive in a sense. Because I think a lot of the time things like eating disorders or substance abuse, or really anything in that category. They're really just strategies that we use to try to survive the next day, whether that's based off of traumas we've experienced, or my therapist always talks about it in a sense of like, a lot of the things we do now are to help us, I guess, like our kid brain. It's all about like us trying to stay in our caregiver's window of tolerance. So however we were raised, however we got by whatever we were communicated that was good, whether that was to be thin or be quiet or don't need, don't cry, don't feel. Those things were how we kept our parents happy. So today, that's how we learn how to keep everyone else happy. But the sad thing is that that's not true. And what that did to me was it made me completely disconnect from everything about myself. It made me disconnect from my body, my personality, my feelings. I tried so hard to be as little as possible in every kind of way. And so when I got to treatment, I kind of, I was super excited because I have a tendency to live super like zipped up in a sense of like, I don't want to show the world the messy parts. I don't want to show the world, oh, there's a big spider next to me. That's great. The beauty of live outdoor discussions. Um, I, I don't want to show the world the parts of me that I'm afraid will make me unlovable. And so I zip up and I put the smile on and I have the funny conversations and all the things, you know? And so basically what ended up happening was I went to this treatment center and I had the opportunity to let myself be unzipped because I went in expecting to not want to make any connections with people. So I expected to not really care what people thought about me. So I felt like it was going to be my first opportunity to just be who I was and show who I was and without any consequences, which in the long run, I ended up being wrong because I learned that throughout all of that, the whole point was connection and relationship. But going in, it was helpful to have that mindset because it let me just be. It let me finally look underneath layer and layer and layer to just figure out really who I was and really like how my relationship with my body was. And I think the thing that impacted me the most was at the very beginning of treatment, they had us do these things called like writing letters to our bodies. And so when I wrote my first letter to my body, I had never done anything like that before. And it felt really scary and really revealing 
mainly it felt revealing because I didn't realize the way I felt about myself. I didn't realize how ashamed I was of myself. I didn't realize how embarrassed and how much I was not listening to my body. And it was really sad because we were then asked to write a response letter from our body to ourselves. And that was really trippy. It was really weird. But when I did that, it was interesting to me because my body, the response that I felt like it was having was just really sad and really like desperate and in need to just be listened to, be paid attention to. And after writing those letters, I felt like I had this like, kind of like a revelation moment. And I like to think of revelations not as like finishing lines because I used to think they were a finishing line. Like when I would have this like aha moment, I'm like, that's everything that I need. That's everything that I need to do and live by. Like my journey's done. But I realized in treatment that revelations are starting lines. They're not finishing ones. So once I had this revelation, I realized this is my journey. And the whole entire experience I had in treatment it kind of became just this journey of learning how to listen to myself, this journey of learning how to listen to my body and be connected. In order to do that, you have to be connected. In order to do things as little as like, and I'm not sure how this sounds, I'm not sure what your guys' experiences are, and I'm hoping you'll share that after I'm done with my little rant, but the whole experience was based on me trying to listen to what I was saying. As little as like, when am I hungry? When am I full? When am I tired? Because our bodies are really smart and they carry a lot of information, a lot of information. Even as far as like our bodies holding trauma, like there's so much just there with the trauma piece. Like I read this book, I'm not sure if any of you have heard of the book, uh, The Body Keeps the Score, but it was the most vindicating thing I had ever read. Because I had noticed throughout my life that when I would feel triggered or upset by things or have like anxiety or depression, like different things would happen in my body. But I felt like I was making too big of a deal out of something or I was making it all up in my head. But reading this book, I learned so much about how much the body holds on to these events and holds on to these things. And it proves that you're not okay. And when you're free to not be okay, you're free to then start looking at what healing looks like. And that's what treatment was for me. And so ever since then, I've been super excited. Like it's, it's a journey and a process and it's not easy. And it's hard to be present as much as I'm trying to be. It's hard to be present and it's hard to be as connected and upfront because then you got to feel stuff. Glennon Doyle has a lot of really incredible things to say about this. I'm not sure if you guys know who that is, but she is an incredible writer and speaker that's, oh my gosh, if I could ever have a conversation with her, my whole life would be complete. Nothing else to say. But she has this quote about saying that like, since the day she got sober, she has never been fine again. She has been scared and depressed and sad and excited. And she lists all these feeling things. She's been all those things, but she's never been fine. Because fine, she says, is our way of like, just saying we're like slowly dying. And you're numb and you're not feeling and you're just fine. But when we choose to show up and when we choose to be present and connected and in our bodies, that is when we start feeling everything. And it's hard to do that. It's so hard and it could be scary. And sometimes it could feel isolating because not a lot of people in the world live that way. But ever since I started trying to live this way, I started to realize how much more worth it life actually is. I started to realize how not fulfilling life is on the other side. I would try so hard to numb out for myself by like, I would feel things be like, I'll just go have a glass of wine or I'm feeling things. I'm just going to go for a run. I'm just going to not eat for like three days so that I don't have to feel what's going on in my body because it's too uncomfortable. But now things are different now. And it's a journey and I'm super excited because I started a podcast about it and I'm writing a book about it and it's all called The Unity Project, which I've wanted to write a book called The Unity Project for a really long time, but it turned into something completely different than I ever expected it to. But yeah, I'm not sure if you guys have any questions or if any of you want to share anything. I know that 
um, the first question that I generally ask people when I interview them on my podcast is what their, what is their relationship like with their body? So if anyone watching wants to answer that question, feel free to jump in anytime. I'm just going to be sitting here waiting. And if not, I will share some funny random anecdote from my life that has nothing to do with the topic. Hmm. Daniel Johnson, I know that you're driving, but your screen is up there. We got Josh. And we got Joe. Oh. Hey, Dan. Hey, Dan. How's it going? How's it going? Also, I'm the reason for the echo because of the audio through my car. So I'll try to mute when I'm not talking. No but, worries at all. No worries at all. Um, I wouldn't say I've had crazy struggles with my body over the years, but uh, I did have. I wasn't the healthiest person growing up in high school. I would play a lot of video games. And I let myself get my cholesterol too high. And then I lost 20 pounds my senior year and got everything back to the way it should be. And then I maintained that weight, which I consider not my happy weight, but the kind of the weight I want to be for six years through college until I started my office job. Then when I started my office job, I started gaining weight again. And I'm not unhappy with my body, but I want to be back to where I was before just because, you know, that's what I was used to for so long. So, and then I also was thinking about when I originally got your email about topics from, like, the male perspective of this topic, of, of like, how it's, like, a societal pressure to be, I guess, muscular comparison. I've never been a muscular guy. (laughs) So just different... Lane closure ahead in 1.6 miles. You're still on the fastest route. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to myself now. <laughs> oh. Oh. Daniel, thank you so much for sharing that. That's really interesting to hear, especially from, like, I don't know. I love hearing different people's perspectives on this, especially when someone has, and we all have such different stories, but just even the difference between a guy's experience and a girl's experience like how you're saying, like, the societal norm for guys to be muscular. That I relate to that with, like, the societal for norm for girls to be, like, super small and thin. And just we talked about that a lot in treatment, actually, with, like, the different, um, the different gender roles and what that communicates to us and what we think we have to do and how we have to live in response to that. And there's just so much pressure there's so much pressure and I feel like all of that pressure takes away from our ability to actually just live our life and actually just be who we were made to be because we are all so different and we are all so special and we all have these different gifts and whatnot and these different beautiful things about who we are. And it just, it's really frustrating to me when culture or like whether it's like diet culture or purity culture or even at times like rape culture, any of these types of things get in the way of that. It's really frustrating to me, but I appreciate you sharing. I know that this is a, not a conversation I had a lot before treatment. So I'm not sure if it's like a very common one that people have in I guess normal people world, but thank you for sharing, Daniel. Um, Would anyone else like to share about how they feel about their relationship with their body. I'll talk. <laughs> Sarah! Yeah, hi. Um, hi, my friend. How's it going? Oh, good. How are you? I was going to text you. So great. I'm just I'm doing great. <laughs> no, I've been on. I just been, I turned off my camera for a second because I was taking care of my dog. Um, <laughs> Guys, this is Sierra. She's the best. Back to you. <laughs> That's me. That's my uh, title. Uh, yes. So I actually was on your podcast. So I answered this question on your podcast, but it's really funny listening back to it. Even just, I mean, it's weird to think that was like a month and a half ago, <laughs> like a month to a month and a half ago later, listening to it and being like, I'm like hurting for myself, listening to myself then. Mm. Um, the things I was trying to impress that were okay or that were good. Like, I'm like, I like, I, I listened back on it just a couple of days ago and I was like, 
I was lying and I knew it while I was doing it. And um, the biggest thing was, you know, I would often talk about like, I, I've had this mindset that I'm still in that's hard, but it is what it is. And it's something, you know, we've, we've talked about, but I'm pretty open about as well that like when you are a plus sized girl um, seeking any kind of treatment for an eating disorder, you're usually encouraged to continue to not eat and continue to make yourself smaller. And it's usually encouraged that um, you're not healthy enough and that must be why. And I've been, you know, I'm at a point now I shoot arrows off of horses at a gallop, you know, that's, I, I will, you know, punch anyone square in the jaw that tries to tell me that I'm not healthy, but it still will hurt me later on. And I think one of the things that got me the most um, in the podcast was when I said, when I said that I abuse myself by eating too much food. And I've realized lately that I was eating a meal. That's what it was. That was too much food. But diet culture, a lifetime of diet culture, a lifetime of always being asked to be smaller has made that not even a, a realization for me that I get to have a whole meal, like a well-balanced meal. Um, and I am well overweight. And actually my BMI says I am morbidly obese, but nobody would ever guess that looking at me. Um, but that's what, that's what doctors have used, you know, professional doctors, doctors in eating disorder work, workbooks um, have actually used the BMI to try and encourage people to be at a healthy weight. And all that has ever done um, for me and a lot of girls like me, um, and I'm sure a lot of men as well, I can't speak on men's experiences. And I know they're a lot different. The pressures that are put on them are quite a bit different. But um, I'm, I know that like, I have a long way to go from where I said I was on your podcast. And um, I think it's important too to remember like when people, you know, when you hear like influencers and when we hear people who are influencers, but like mental health practitioners or anyone who like, you know, who people look up to, I'm, I'm a mentor. I literally work in a mentor program. You know, I think it's important to understand that those people are human and might have their own, um, their own experience and their own experience of issues. Um, and that they might be saying something, but feeling a different way and always remembering like no one's doing it perfectly. We're all doing our best. And, you know, for me, a lot of help has been understanding, like, like trying to invalidate my own experience where like doctors and physicians and therapists, I'm not. And that's basically just my take as like a plus size girl. It's, it's, am I allowed to curse on here? I don't know. It's a gosh darn <laughs> nightmare. <laughs> but exactly. It's a gosh darn nightmare. <laughs> oh my gosh. Sarah, thank you for sharing all that. I like, I don't know. I mean, our journeys are so, they're very different, but they're very parallel. I feel like to kind of our way of experiencing what it is to have an eating disorder and what it is to try and live in today's society with that. And like, I don't know, I've just, I've really appreciated you sharing now and just in our friendship and in our conversations and stuff. And I think all that BMI, whatever is a bunch of loads of crap. So whoever's listening and needs to hear this, that is just, it's just not true. I feel like there's so much, and I learned so much at treatment about, I don't know how to explain it. Just like the old school way of looking at it, of like bringing it down to the science of like, this is the standard for how everybody's supposed to look this very specific way. And everyone else is judged based on these numbers and whatever those numbers are supposed to be. You're kind of how like on the podcast, you talked about like calorie counting with the Nike plus app and how it only gave you like X amount of calories a day. The same yeah. as everybody. Uh, my fitness pal gives you 1200 calories a day. There's no universe where no. that is a reasonable amount. No. And I, I'm two inches taller than my old roommate and have a completely different lifestyle. And we have the same amount of calories allowed on the app that I was using before this. So don't count your damn calories. <laughs> no. Yeah. That's just, that's crazy to me. It's crazy. And it just, it really is dangerous and can ruin people's lives. 
And so, and all it does is make us hate ourselves because our bodies need more than that. And our bodies know what they need and they know what they need to survive and to thrive in the way that they're supposed to. And things like the MyFitnessPal calorie counting thing or anything to do with diet culture or other things, like they just go against that. They just encourage us to ignore ourselves and to shame ourselves. And it really bothers me. (laughs) Yeah, man, we're going to do another podcast. And I still think that you had a lot of incredible things to say. And it's all part of the process and the journey and everything. And so I don't know if any of you know anything about uh, what I do horse-wise. Sierra's the horsewoman. <laughs> it's all thanks to Sierra, this person. <laughs> but yeah, does, does anyone else want to talk about their relationship with their body? No pressure. I know it might be a weird question. <laughs> Chris! I can share. <laughs> How's it going? Pretty good. Well, it's hard to say. I mean, we're in a pandemic, so... Yes, indeed we are. Odd question these days. Yeah. Oh, it is such a weird question, but I can't help it. <laughs> I know. It's just a force of habit, and that kind of goes into, like, what I was going to mention, because I've been listening to your podcast, which is incredible, by the Thank way. You. I love all the guest speakers. Um, Sierra did wonderful. Benjamin did wonderful. Everybody's been doing wonderful. Mm. And um, so the reason why I mentioned that is because I never actually thought about my relationship with my body that much. But, and I think a lot of it's because I blocked it out mm. because um, this is actually very hard for me to share. Um, I'm kind of like starting to tremble just sharing oh. about this. But Chris, it's an <laughs> honor to hear. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. But the point is that um, I was not necessarily, I was verbally bullied as a child for my body. And that's because um, I was a very small child. I was never very um, strong, at least big as in strong. And, you know, I would often be told, like, eat some more. I would often be told to, like, you know, start running, eat some more. Um, do something because you look like a skeleton. It was even joked that if I turned around, I would disappear, um, which is a funny joke at the time. But in hindsight, like, you know, that affects someone. And and then when I started um, taking medication for uh, mental health issues, I would actually start to gain weight because my metabolism would slow down. Um, and then suddenly, suddenly I was getting too big. And now I was um, supposed to start exercising more to like turn that into muscle and I'm just like make up your mind am I too small or am I too big I can't tell mm-hmm. um and so like I echo a lot with like what Daniel said because you know a lot of us are like supposed to be at least men are supposed to be like muscular such so as strong and so if you're not physically strong I guess you're not emotionally strong as well mm. and and actually also um I was also thinking a little bit about what's Sira mentioned about the BMI because in terms of diet culture, society is never going to be satisfied with your weight mm-hmm. or with your body. That's just, that's just a fact. They're going to tell you you're too small. They're going to tell you you're too large. Um, they're going to tell you to eat less, eat more. At least that has been my experience. And a lot of it feels kind of like eugenics in terms of like we're trying to produce the best sort of people. Um, and that just seems very wrong. It seems like a very skewed sort of science to just push on people um so I don't know I have a I came here mostly to listen because Mm -hmm. I know that stories are important and I'm trying to learn about my story myself Um, but I feel like a lot of the relationship with my body has been blocked out Mm -hmm. because I don't think I wanted to um talk about it I don't think I wanted to um be there to know about it because of the experiences I've had with it before yeah Chris, that makes a lot of sense. And I can relate a lot to what you're saying, actually. First of all, I really appreciate you sharing. I know that this is, it's a very personal topic to talk about. So I really appreciate you trusting all of us here and feeling safe enough to share, especially like, I don't know, we are in such a strange time in the world to where it's like, I think we all feel more vulnerable just in general. Um, So I appreciate that. But like, I want to ask, what are, what are things that you do that make you feel very much like Chris, like super you, like very connected, whether that's like 
reading or yeah definitely a lot of reading um yeah yeah definitely a lot of reading definitely a lot of writing um I have started running because that was the only sport I liked um so that's been a little liberating to me but I always have to think about why I'm running Mm. um it's not necessarily like am I doing it because people want me to look a little better is am I doing it because I want to look a little better or is it because I just want to get some stress out of exercise Mm. Uh, or like you know leave stress out and interestingly enough my mom always had this like saying in terms of your body um which she would say something like el cuerpo demanda she's Mexican, so we spoke in a Spanish-speaking household. El cuerpo demanda, which basically means your body demands it. And she mostly meant that in terms of, like, rest. So, like, if your body needs rest, your body will let you know that you need rest, which means mm-hmm. that your your body won't let you do any more. It won't let you run. It won't let you be, like, it won't force you to be productive. It actually won't allow you to be productive because your body knows what it wants. So, and... I think we live in a very um, hyper-productive society where you have to keep moving in order to, you know, feel good about yourself. So when your body, you know, shuts down and, like, makes you sleep in, you're thinking to yourself, or at least I think to myself, oh, God, I just let a lot of time slip by. And so you really start to hate yourself for it, simply because your body is telling you to rest. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it's hard to listen to. It's hard to listen, especially just because, like, I don't know, there's so much associated with the word rest that feels negative, like being lazy, not trying. Um, it's like you put your iPhone to rest. Why can't you put yourself to rest? <laughs> That's a very good point. If iPhones need it, we need it, Chris. <laughs> Dang. Well, I, I think that that's very cool. I, and I agree about the running. That is something that I um, – I had a lot of conversations about that in treatment because I love running, but I don't know if it's because I want to run or if it's because I'm trying to mold myself into something for somebody else or for the world or for, I don't know. It's hard. That's hard, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, does anyone else have any, anything they want to share about their relationship with their body or if anyone has anything like, maybe some things that have helped them feel more connected, kind of like we were talking about with Chris loves reading. I love, I know Sierra loves horses so much and being there, I always feel super connected to myself on the ranch. If anyone has anything to share in that kind of realm? This is where we dance, Chris. I will, the say, <laughs> I will say that even like with, with horses, it's like, you know, that's something that I love more than anything in the world, but there are definitely times where I'm outside of my window of tolerance and, and like in the horse world. I mean, mm. you've seen that, you've seen yeah. it in, you know, the past couple of weeks, like there are times when I'm like, I don't want to be here and that's okay too. You know, you don't have to love the thing that you love all the time. Um, sometimes I'm like, am I falling out of love with horses? Crap. Cause I just fell, in lo- fell out of love with, you know, my last passion. I don't necessarily see that as happening with horses, but I do think like the one thing, no matter what, that always makes me feel like the most Sierra, the most functional is doing groundwork with my horse. So not riding, not, you know, doing any, not doing any task or anything, literally just being next to him and, and just kind of observing him and trying to communicate with him, which sounds really crazy to people who don't know what we do, but (laughs) I'm not like trying to speak horse, but I'm kind of trying to speak horse. It's kind of a long story, but basically they, there's, they're as prey animals, they operate completely based or they operate really similarly to people who have been through trauma. And I know like Jackie and I met because we're really, I'm friends with her therapist (laughs) and we went to work together. And then one day, like had the realization, basically long story short, over, over the course of several days, we realized that like her therapist is like a friend of mine who I actually see as like a mentor. And, um, we met kind of in the horse world cause she's an equine therapist and she had written something actually the other day about like being in your optimal window of tolerance. Mm-hmm. And I think there's definitely times in our, in our life where we find like very little of that time. Like it's rare to feel like we're in our optimal window of tolerance, but I will say I did have it the other day. There'd be this giant ball and I was just rolling it. Did I tell you about this? 
Yeah, I was rolling the ball to freedom and he was catching it and playing with it and moving it around with his nose, which oh. is a huge deal. This horse has been through like unimaginable trauma. And so like for him to react that way, it's literally um, that he used to, if the ball was even near him, he all but jumped the fence and now he's playing with it. And the choice to play with the item that they once feared is like the utmost sign of healing in a horse's trauma. And horses have a lot harder experience healing from trauma than we do because they're prey animals. We're apex predators. So the reality is we can hunt and kill if really needed. And, you know, part of how we can navigate our feelings is by hunting and killing the bad guy, like in our mindset. But like another part of it that we don't do enough is like sitting with this scary thing and learning to like enjoy it and learning to play with it um, and like not take it so seriously. And that's kind of like for, and that's, for a, a prey animal to move into that predator stance, um, like, you know, that, that takes so much courage from them. And it's like, if he can do that, I can do that. You know, like mm-hmm. if he can look this thing in the eye, that was so scary to him. And also like, and like Chris hearing you talk, I was getting like choked up. Cause I, I lied earlier. I said that I turned off the camera to play with my dog, but I turned off the camera because I had tears in my eyes and it's fine. It's okay. <laughs> but Jackie told me, she said, help me. Cause I don't, I need help and talk to me. So I'm talking, <laughs> but it's okay. This is like, it's like the hardest thing to feel like you're battling with your own body all the time, especially when it's medication induced is, you know, and when it's a medication that's helping you like be happy. I had a friend who I was just talking to the other day, um, Jackie, it's one of our mutual friends, actually, she was telling me that she was once told by a doctor after she gained 60 pounds in like four months on an antidepressant, the doctor said, would you rather be fat and happy or sad and thin? Oh my God. And she, I mean, it was devastating for her to hear like from a physician. And that's literally what doctors say to people. And, but it's important to note too, and you know, this as you've learned and I'm learning this myself, like, that's not what all doctors will say. Like that is, there are, that is not what doctors who know what they're doing at this point and have studied the science and know the truth and know that being overweight is not a death sentence. In fact, it's actually healthier. And that's something that like, I, it's healthier than malnourishing yourself, but like, we've been taught for so long. I mean, we can be glorified now. You know, people love like curvy bodies or plus size bodies now, but I think I said this on the podcast, like that doesn't change 20 or so years of bullying that we all experienced for our body types, whether you were too skin skinny or too big, like whatever you experienced, even though people are becoming more body positive now, our generation still faced years and years of bullying and that's trauma. We don't like to see it as that and people don't like to, but we at the ranch, we mentor kids and we have kids who are bullied at school next to kids who have been through like unimaginable trauma that, you know, objectively you would look at it and say, well, yeah, that kid's circumstance is worse, but is it for them? Is it really? Because for them, it's the worst thing they've ever been through. And that's what trauma looks like. And I think the first thing is accepting that like that is trauma like being bullied for your weight, whether you were too small or too big was trauma. It was traumatic. Mm -hmm. And then doing the work to address it in that regard and address it as a term, an ongoing, a complex trauma, which is really what it is. And not all doctors are unfortunately really well-versed in that, which is, that sucks. Really sucks. Absolutely. We talked. Oh no. No, you're good. We, we've talked a handful of times about like the difference or how people use the terms like big T and little T trauma. And I hate that so much because that just, all that does is like unvalid, un, is unvalidate or invalidate. Inval- okay. There you go. <laughs> all it does is invalidate people in what they've gone through and make them feel like their stuff isn't worthy of care. Like, I don't know. I've, I've felt that a lot in my life and talking to a lot of people. Um, I gather that it is a really common thing to feel like, well, my stuff, like I can't talk about my stuff because at least I didn't go with this through what this person went through or what that person went through or like, this wasn't as bad as that, or this couldn't have happened. Like my, I've been told lots of times in my life of like, you haven't been through anything because you had this kind of child. (laughs) 
And I'm like, thanks, Dad. Um, <laughs> but it's just not true. It's not true because like Sierra's saying, like trauma, trauma is so subjective and it impacts us in such deep ways that I don't know if we'll ever fully be able to understand, but it, it's worth it for all of us to be able to be acknowledged and validated in that. Um, Chris, are you, are you wanting to say something? It switched to you. So I'm making sure. Okay. You got the baton. All right. Thank you. (laughs) Um, yeah, I have so many things to say about parenting and trauma. (laughs) Because okay. I feel that a lot of parents have to go to therapy to deal with their trauma before they pass it on to their children. Mm-hmm. And I also it should be like- required. You <laughs> don't get to procreate until you get your, you know what, together. I'm trying to be right and correct. Thanks, Sarah. <laughs> I'm trying my best as well. Um, yeah, because I mean, I especially see it now with the pandemic because raising children is hard. And, you know, I live with my brother who, you know, has two beautiful sons along with my sister-in-law, two beautiful nephews. And so it's stressful to be a parent, very, very stressful. But what I notice is that not just, not solely with them, they're incredibly good parents. And I really, really want to emphasize that they're amazing parents. But I noticed that with a lot of other parents, when they say things such as that, you had a good childhood, they refuse to acknowledge the trauma that they gave you. They refuse to acknowledge that they possibly did things that hurt you because they were going through so much themselves at the time that they, they just didn't realize it. They don't, it flew over their heads that possibly they did something that affected you and things that they said, because when I started gaining weight from my medication, it was my father who took me back to the psychiatrist to say, Hey, my son's gaining weight. Can we try some other medicine? Mm. It was so messed up. Yeah. And I feel like systemically, at least the way that our culture is designed, our system is designed, science is against us in a way, because with things such as BMI, the the terrible doctors that Sarah mentioned, you know, telling yourself, do you want to be fat, but happy that, but, you know, making it seem like those are two negative, like those are two things that don't mix together, that they're mutually exclusive, that they contradict. I'm trying not to swear myself, but that is bull. I don't know if we can or not. This isn't through my platform. I don't, um, Brent, are you listening? Are we allowed to swear? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah let's, let's try, try not to. Okay, no <laughs> swearing, guys. Be creative right. about it. <laughs> Thanks, Brent, sorry. <laughs> back to you Chris yeah I just feel like a lot of parents need to have therapy before they say anything to their child because they will they carry biases from a long time ago and as Sir says that is traumatic that is passed on to us and we have to deal with 20 years later mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely and I feel like I don't know something in like our general, like I, I don't know. I have a lot of thoughts on this topic specifically, but like there's something about generations before us. Like there was something that happened that like switched and I don't know exactly what it was that like all of a sudden started to make therapy seem like something that was not just for like, that was for like, like a normal thing for like anybody could go to therapy and anyone, I think everybody should go to therapy And like you're saying, especially if you're going to be a parent, because then you're going to put all your stuff onto that kid. But I'm just really curious as to what happened. I feel like I want to do some like research in that area. But no, those were a lot of really good points, Chris. Um, It's because we were raised by boomers. Yeah, that's, mm, I don't think there's boomers on here. I'm not going to say anything else. Yes. Lisa, I see that you are trying to turn on the audio. I'm not sure if you were able to or not, but if you had something to say, I would love to hear your beautiful voice. I also don't want to call you out if you don't want to talk. So I'm going to give you a second. Lisa! Can you me? Yes, I can hear you. You're all oh, Lisa. Lisa's from Germany, everybody. Give it up for Germany. <laughs> yeah. My yeah. English sucks, so 
I'm not sure if I should um, say anything right now. No, you sound wonderful. Oh, shut up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I'm just online right now, so I have no clue what you're talking about. Oh, you just joined in? Yeah. Okay, so I asked everybody um, what their relationship is like with their body and how they would Ooh. talk about that. Yes, that's what I ask in my podcast. So if you had any thoughts on that, you know, no pressure to share if it's a loaded question. So zero pressure. But if you wanted to share anything, we would love to hear from you. Oh, my God. Sierra is here. Yes, yeah, Sierra's here. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love the podcast episode. <laughs> oh, look at you go, Sierra. Oh, my God. Thank you. <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm blushing. <laughs> Um, well, I don't know how to answer the question because um, most of the time I think I have a really healthy relationship with my body, but then it um, yeah, changes from time to time. Mm -hmm. So I realized that I will be um, making holidays, making holidays, I'm not sure, um, with my family in two weeks. And my first thought was like, oh my God, only two weeks left. I have to do some fitness tutorials in order to wear mm. um, a swimsuit or something. And yeah, that's when I realized it's not that healthy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude, I can so relate to that. I can so relate to that. And that's a really brave thing to look at and even talk about because it's so like not, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's maybe it's like the conversations I've been having or just like the groups of people I've been around, but from the past, I feel like people don't really talk about this that much. And it feels shamey to say it loud. But once you do say it loud, it's like, oh, we all kind of feel that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Lisa, is there, is there something, another question I asked everybody um, is what are like activities that you do that make you feel very much you, very present, very like in your body, very Lisa? Um, I play soccer twice a week. And it's not about a sport. Well, it's about a sport, but it's also about being in a team and having conversations while doing sport. Mm. And yeah, I guess that's the most important thing. So during the last um, four months during Corona, it was pretty tough not to do it. But now we're back and we're doing good. You're back and you're doing That's amazing. Soccer yeah. actually was one of my favorite things to do in treatment that kind of made me feel very much like I guess in my own skin, because like, um, it's not running, but it's movement. And so with running, it's hard, like I was saying earlier that like, I can't tell if I'm running because I'm trying to like, look this certain way or compensate for food or something. But with soccer, it's like this really fun, like you're moving around and you're like feeling your like, self and whatnot, but you are like having a good time. So I think that's cool. I think I remember us talking a little bit about that on one of the social medias at some point. <laughs> But that's really special, Lisa. Thank you very, very much for sharing. And I agree with Sarah. Your English is amazing. This is the first time I've, like, FaceTime met you. Yeah. I've known, yeah. yeah, I've known <laughs> you on the internet for so many years. You've seen me through so many hairstyles. I love it so much. <laughs> yes, yes. So is anyone else listening want to share anything about their relationship with the relationship Hey. Hey. And I How's it going? You're still How's there. Going? You're still, still driving. driving. Still driving. Yeah, I got a six-hour car ride ahead of me, so thanks for the entertainment. Ooh. Ooh. Well, I'm at, like, four now, but uh, anyway, um, I was going to answer the second question and then do back to the first one. So my go-to uh, hobby for, like, my entire life has been walking. I like to take, like, four or five-mile walks for fun just clear my head and all that kind of stuff and then I recently picked up disc golf which is a sport that I'm trying to get good at which also gives me a reason to be more active and my main motivating factor to be healthy now is not anything society related but more I want to have a healthy future and not have like loads of medication when I'm I prefer to work on getting better habits now when I'm in my 20s. So it's already 
cutting out a little bit, Daniel. In my 40s. Ah. You are getting real choppy. <laughs> drastically changed right now. I'll, I'll try again later. Hold on. I'm so, oh, now I can hear you. Cool. Now you're good. So I think you now you're good. So I think you went Dead zones. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to like repeat too you're much. Good. I, Why didn't, when did I start getting good. It was when you were saying you were trying to start half. Um, it was when you were saying you were trying to start half um, healthy habits. Yeah, because I, uh, my parents are on their mission to get healthier now, and they're in their 50s, and I was thinking about it. I was like, I might as well start now so that when I get to their age, it's already part of my life instead of, like, drastically changing my diet because I have to for health reasons. I'd rather do it now while I'm more healthy than I would be later. Yeah. My downside factor, yeah. which is a different angle of this, is I've grown up a picky eater, which is a whole nother side of this conversation because a lot of people don't realize the psychological side of being a picky eater. To where I've realized if I'm in the wrong mental headspace, if I try food, I won't like it. I have to be in like a clear headspace or if someone tries to make me try something just from the mental side of not wanting to try it, I won't eat it. Or to the fact, I've also learned over the years that if I don't like food, I'll stop being hungry. I can't eat something if I don't like it. So it's a weird life of trying to eat healthy when I don't like a lot of food. But it's a journey. Yes, it's definitely a journey, man. Thank you for sharing that, Daniel. It is... Oh. <laughs> Thank you very much for sharing that. Sorry, my roommates are walking outside right now. Um... That is a very good journey, man. Yes. Thank you for sharing that, Daniel. It is. I'm here. Wait. Okay. Sorry. I was hearing my echo. I'm like, I can't tell if I'm talking or if it's my echo. Um, But no, yeah, that is definitely something. I grew up a really picky eater as well. And so that is definitely play a really big part in like the psychological part of everything. And just trying to figure out if you're being picky or if you're like trying to keep yourself from enjoying something that whole thing but I appreciate you sharing and I'm happy that this conversation has been entertaining for your six-hour drive <laughs> um does anyone else have anything they want to add before we before we close out here if we have this has been a really really cool to hear all your guys's feedback and and stories and stuff but if anyone that hasn't shared would like to feel free to hop on or send a little message off to the side of the Zoom group chat. Um, I'd like to say something. Um, My name's Heather. I don't know that we've like met um, face to face, but we've talked a little bit before. Yes, Um, I know your name. You sound very familiar. We've definitely chatted. um, I just wanted to share a little bit about my experience with my eating disorder and also type 2 diabetes. And it's a very difficult thing to balance. And it really has messed with my like view of my body when I have my doctor saying, well, you know, you're obese, you need to get your blood sugar under control, but then learning how to eat properly at the same time is very hard. So it's really caused some challenges for me and I'm still struggling with that, but, um, I just keep hoping I can keep moving forward and getting better. Um, cause right now the diabetes is still considered uncontrolled. So there's a lot of challenges with that. It, it does kind of mess with my head sometimes. Um, but I did want to also share about something I like to do that, that helps me a lot. Which I was taking a dance class, which it was like, I was scary. I was scared to go into that at first because when I used to dance, I had a totally different body size. And then now to be in a different place and doing it, it made me realize it doesn't matter and you can still have a good time doing it. So um, with the pandemic, I haven't been able to go back yet, but I hope to go back in September. So oh. That's so awesome, Heather. I love that. Dancing is something that is so special and so freeing that I just, I don't know, I'm a horrible dancer, but I feel so myself when I'm able to without any like worry about who's watching or who's anything that it's just like, it's such a specific joy that you feel when you're dancing. So I'm so happy that you found that and that you have that. And thank you for sharing. You're welcome. 
Yeah. I'm that was so, all I had. <laughs> yeah. Man, I, I want, keep me posted with everything. Okay. Cause that you have a, a story, man. You have a story. I have um, a podcast coming out next week with where I interviewed someone who had um, something similar. We'll chat more about it later, but thank you very much for sharing. It's so nice to virtually meet you. <laughs> yeah. Um, does anyone else have anything they'd like to add or any questions that you'd like talked about or whatnot? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I just want to say like to everyone that kind of shared their story and stuff like that, it was really cool. Um, taking the time to really kind of listen and hear what everyone has to say and, and everyone's individual journey and story is really, uh, it's, it's, it's inspiring to really kind of hear like where you were and to where you are now and, and I'm really looking forward to seeing where everyone is going to be. I think that's really, really cool. Um, so thank you for that. Uh, in terms of myself, I think I really find myself looking, um, I think, in, in a perspective of I, I've, I play competitive sports, right? So, like, I'm, I'm very much trying to, like, meet this expectation of not necessarily image, but I kind of try to align it with performance, you know what I mean? And it's a lot of, like, oh, if I'm not performing well, then like, what's wrong with my body? Or like, what's wrong? Like, is it like my headspace? Or, or there's so many different factors that come into play, which is, um, I think, a, a very challenging aspect to, to find myself in. Because I don't really necessarily, like, I can, I can look any sort of way, but I also, like, feel like it's, it's, it's if I'm not performing on the pitch, if I'm not performing, like, uh, in, in the gym or whatever, it's like, well, what's missing? Like, I, I find that it's, like, a, uh, a lot of the time, quite difficult for me to uh or it used to be specifically like very challenging for me to kind of have grace with myself and be like you know what like you're in this space of um you're you're trying to reach this goal you're trying to work towards it and you have to really kind of keep this whole uh like brick by brick mentality like every every step like you'll get towards your goal and I, I found like it was really hard to get to that point and um I also find like even now in this current like state and day and age where I am, that it is also quite challenging to kind of keep that consistent mentality. Um, I would, I would like to hear your thoughts on, on uh, how you can maintain uh, a consistent mentality and uh, um, with like, whether it be positivity or whether it be uh, accepting kind of where you're at or all these different types of things, like what in your perspective is uh a good way of, of keeping uh, a consistency in, in terms of the way you think and, and, and work towards your goals and stuff. Yeah, that's a really, a really great question, Josh. And thank you for sharing that. I, I really appreciate just like you said, hearing other people's stories, but that was a lot of really good, really good information to share. And um, I think that the best thing that I've found when it comes to like being consistent with it is to, having a, have a really good group of people around you that I guess share the same values and share the same perspectives on these things to kind of be able to be able to talk through this stuff with and be able to continue being honest. That's a really big thing as well as being honest with the people around you with how you're feeling. And Sears actually helped me a lot with that, with just being super straight up about like, no, this is actually what I'm struggling with. And this is actually, I'm feeling about that. And that way you can kind of help each other stay on the same page about it because I don't know, there's something really beautiful about like when I'm having a bad day, someone else is not having a bad day. And when they're having a bad day, maybe I'm not, we help each other out a lot. Um, other than that hundred million percent therapy to the max therapy has definitely helped me stay level and consistent with living life in this kind of way that, and then, and journaling journaling kind of like brain dumping onto a piece of paper about once a day. I haven't been as good about it as I used to be, but I used to do it every single morning for like an hour. I would just write out all my thoughts because honestly, like that's where I'm the most honest because when I'm writing just in like a journal, it's just for me. So I highly recommend that to everyone and anyone to kind of really get to know what you're feeling and thinking and I've noticed a lot, like a lot has changed for me throughout the years, but I've noticed that what I want has stayed the same, like at like the underlying want below like everything else that's stayed the same. And I've been able to notice that through journaling, through getting just like stripping back the layers and seeing the truth of who I am and what I want. And so 
Yeah, I'm not sure if that answers your question the best, but that is definitely what has helped me. If anyone else has any thoughts on that question, feel free to share. I think along the lines of therapy, because I'm a strong believer in therapy, like therapy all day, every day, honestly, everybody go to therapy forever. I make anyone in my life go to therapy. So also, because I think it's also beneficial if you're someone who struggles with like any kind of mental illness, I think it's important that your support system also has support. If you do, you know, I just think that's important. Um, But um, all that to be said, uh, sorry, I lost. Oh, yeah. Um, just building your, building a complete treatment team, I know is helpful. Like sometimes just having a therapist, like I, I just had a therapist for a while and then I actually like just last week started seeing a like eating disorder recovery specific coach who's someone I check in with constantly and meet with once a week. Um, and then I also have a nutritionist and then I also have a psychiatrist and then I also have like, I all, you know, it's all these different things and it feels like excessive. It feels excessive for me right now. I feel like all I'd ever do is go to meetings, but it's, you know, if it's what you need at that time, it's building that foundational support because honestly, like, I don't know about you guys, but I have seen a therapist for a long time and once a week hasn't really just, it hasn't really been enough. And, um, especially through the pandemic, um, I remember at the very beginning of the pandemic, very, very beginning, my, um, therapist asked me, she's like, how have you been doing? I said, I'm trapped in my house with food. How do you think I'm doing? And I actually found like that writing because Jackie has inspired me to journal. I used to journal all the time. I collect journals like a hoarder. I have a problem, but I never write in them, but I love them. And I finally got one the other day. Another thing that I highly recommend per my roommate, who is a, who is a social working, social work major, um, currently getting her degree in social work to be a therapist and be a counselor. Um, she told me one day, she's like, you need to go get yourself a treat. And I'm like, well, it's kind of the problem. I mean, that's, I can't really just like go get myself a treat. She goes, well, go get yourself like a toy from the store. And so I went and bought journals and I was like, I can do this. It's a treat. And, um, cause I usually don't let myself buy journals or sunglasses cause I hoard them, <laughs> but, um, I got a new journal and I've been using it and, um, that's been, so awesome and so helpful. But I was looking back in, um, one of my journals from like February or March. And it literally, I I saw the transcript of that conversation with my therapist. And I'm like, it would have been nice to know, like back then that I needed that foundation. But the reality is like, sometimes your therapist doesn't necessarily know, like the way it's been described to me is that therapists are more for like the past and present, like undoing the past or not undoing, but helping process the past and then how it affects your present. Whereas um, my recovery coach has been more of like present and future. So like building a healing situation that's specific to you, if that's what you need and not trying to build it based off of others, because Jackie and I have become very close through her healing and it's helped me realize how much I have to go. And um, I know that like, I've often gotten to a point where I'm like, why am I not, why can't I have this conversation as easily? You know, like she's killing it and I'm, what am I, what's, why can't I do this? And it's like, I, it's different. Like it's a different situation. We're experiencing all different things and you know, it's that big T little T it doesn't exist. Don't ever let someone use those words to you because, and if they do politely tell them that it's invalidating because reality is like, we've all experienced things in different ways. So like build what's what you need. Give yourself that. If you're worried about like feeling like you don't need that much, just put it there so you have it and can't hurt to have, if that makes yes. sense. Absolutely. So yeah, that's very, very important. I like, when I was first told to go to a, a dietitian, I was so mad, so mad. I was so mad and frustrated because I'm it's like, I'm already- Diet. <laughs> what do you say? That word diet really gets- it's worse. It does. And I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to talk about with a dietitian. I'm like- I already go to a therapist every week. I can't afford that. And so it was just, it was really hard. Sorry, my nose is super itchy. Um, Hold on. (laughs) Okay, I'm back. Um, (laughs) But I was just like, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't understand like, what are you even supposed to talk about with a dietitian? And it felt like, like I felt excessive. 
But then the second I started going, that was what really changed everything. And then when I went to treatment and had like a full on treatment team and it's like, it was just this designated time in my life to put everything into my mental health and everything into my healing. And that was such an important time. And conveniently it happened during the pandemic when everything else stopped as well. So that wasn't too bad. Cause I have Matt, I don't know if any of you do the Enneagram, but I'm mm. like poster child seven. So I have some mad FOMO. So that was very convenient that I went to treatment in the middle of the pandemic. But anyway, yeah, getting a treatment team, super, super important. And just being okay with letting yourself spend that time and honestly like money to help your brain heal and help you be a full human being and just get the care that you need. But yeah. Yeah, you guys, this has been... Yeah, you guys, this has been... An- Hi. 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 <laughs> I, as someone who hasn't done therapy in my life, not, not against center self I guess so I can think things rationally instead of irrationally and that helps me a lot just music in general and that's about all that's awesome that's awesome that's really awesome I've heard a lot about that lately actually music therapy I was kind of interested in looking into it because I know uh I also recently discovered art therapy which has been super helpful and just being able to like communicate and process these different things through the different outlets versus just like talking is great but having music or running or art or horses equine therapy and stuff you know I have half of a degree in music therapy right Sarah we should chat about it oh we never (laughs) talked about this (laughs) we don't really talk about it we should definitely talk about it music therapy for the win but but, yeah what what was that Daniel I said you're welcome you're welcome yes thank you guys this has been an incredible conversation I was a little bit honestly I was a little nervous for this because I've never done anything like this and I don't know this is such an important topic and such a, a vulnerable topic and I'm just I'm really honored that all of you are sharing so much and trust me in this little community online so much to be able to talk about this stuff because I think this is how we this is how we do it. Like, this is how we live full lives. And this is how we start working towards healing and connection and whatnot. It's having these kind of conversations. Um, but yeah, is there anything, sorry. Um, (laughs) is there anything anyone else would like to share before we log off of here? I know that, um, I'm not sure who all is on here that did or did not talk but if anyone didn't get to say anything and wants to feel free to jump on also no pressure if you're just wanting to listen i'm going to sit here for about five awkward silent seconds <laughs> okay not that silent i'm gonna talk because i'm just gonna say one last thing chris love you man say it all thank you love you too um so yeah, I was actually also nervous to come here because I didn't. Here's the thing about a lot of mental illness and a lot of abuse. It all it often feels like an isolated incident when it happens to you because it feels as if you're the only one going through it. So how will others understand it? And I think that's why conversations like these are important because it lets you know that you're not alone. You know, even though that happens to you and it's your own personal experience and your own personal knowledge it doesn't mean that others have not had it or others have not had it in another certain way so and I think that's kind of I think at one point in the conversation we were like what tipped in terms of you know boomers not talking about mental illness to millennials and gen z now talking about mental illness and going to therapy I've seen a lot of posts about like boomers saying like I don't need therapy and millennials being like yo guess what my therapist said today yeah Um, 
<laughs> Very accurate. Yeah. Um, and I think it's because we have been starting to, you know, have more of the conversation, especially like the way that we posted on social media. Like, yeah, I felt that way too. So now people are actually opening up what they've also been feeling. And so the conversation just got a little bit louder. It amplified in a mm. way. Yeah. No, I think that that is super true, honestly. And social media has been such a helpful place to do that because it helps us feel more connected. It helps us have a place to kind of say things that sometimes we wouldn't have the courage to say out loud or in person, or even just gives us a platform to do it. Um, but yeah, what you're saying about like talking about this makes us realize that we're not alone. That I think has been the, I don't know. I think like the biggest, biggest thing that has helped me and that I've taken away from all this stuff. Cause like I started making YouTube videos, like I think like 10 years ago ish, 10 ish years ago about not right away about these kind of conversations. But once I started talking about like the deeper, more personal vulnerable topics in life, uh, the more I realized like, Oh my gosh, I am allowed to talk about this. It is not just me. And the second that I was able to do that, shame started to die down and shame started to go away. And that's when I started to realize like what relationships are supposed to look like with other people and, and with ourselves and how we all struggle with really similar things. And we all have very different stories, but I think at the end of the day, we want the same things and we feel very, very similar things. And so it's a really beautiful thing to be able to have a place to do that. So I'm happy that we all did. I think that's awesome. Chris, you were wonderful. Someone said something in this group chat. I just want to see what it is. Learning we get to have boundaries as a generation. Yes, Sierra. Healthy community conversation equals growth and support. Yes, Josh. Boundaries for sure, Sierra. Mm, lots to say about that that I'm not going to go into right now. But yes, guys, let's keep having these talks. Um, I'm sure if, if you're on here, that means you probably follow me on social media. So there's no point in putting that there. But like, feel free to reach out if you want to keep talking about this. Maybe we can do some more conversations in some kind of way. Um, yeah. And then I'd love to have any of you on the podcast. Honestly, reach out to me if you're interested in that. And maybe we can schedule something because I'd love to talk more about all these things. But yeah. Does anyone have any last final words before we close out? Thanks for tuning in this week. We would love for you to be part of our next discussion. Join our live events happening every week at BeFunBeKind.com. See you soon.